So the Sermon on the Mount is distinct from much of the rest of the, uh, well, the Beatitudes, rather, are distinct from much of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, more, it's, it's cast, most of it, in the imperative tense. They are commands. Do this, do that, do the other thing. What, what God is calling us to do. But the Beatitudes are in the indicative tense. They state what's accomplished. So the blessings here are not uh, conditions. They are promises fulfilled. But I think most of the time, we think of the Beatitudes as though they are, um, it's an entrance exam. If you do this, you're in. And if you don't, you're not, right? But they're not. It, it's, uh, the scholars call it them called them um, eschatological blessings. Don't you love it when we have to think eschatology? What the heck is that, other than sounding really cool when you say it? Eschatology is the doctrine of the church about what happens at the end of time. And many Christians today even spend a lot of time and effort on trying to understand what the end of time might be. But I think that Matthew's point here is that the end of, it's the end of times, every moment is the end of times, the fulfillment of God's purpose. Remember, it's in Matthew's Gospel, he says over and over again, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's here, it's now. It's not on the other side of the hill, at the distant edges of the cosmos, not at some distant future moment, but it's an unfolding reality. With God, no time is time. Time is all time. Every moment is eternity with God. And so the blessings here, which are known to us, many of us, by memory. I grew up in a church, and uh, Miss uh, Phyllis Brown, who lived in my neighborhood, was the teacher of our third, fourth, and fifth grade boys. God bless her. <laughs> and uh, she did it for three years with us because she wanted to have the opportunity to really have an impact in our lives, and she did. One of the things that uh, Miss Brown believed in strongly uh, back in the day was the memorization of scripture. And she believed in it because she had found it to be of great benefit to her, particularly in a moment of very serious illness when she was in an intensive care unit, literally teetering between life and death. She said the thing that got her through was to lay in the bed and keep reciting all the passages from Scripture that she had memorized as a child. And she believed, I agree that she's probably right, it was that scriptural foundation of her life that got her through that night of great uncertainty and danger. So, baby, we learned Scripture. And one of the passages we learned were the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are so well known to us. I mean, you could buy them, um, Chris, I mean, uh, you could buy greeting cards that have the Beatitudes. They're, they're, they're just part of our cultural uh, legacy. But we're so inured to them, we're so familiar with them, that we might miss some of the deep power, the alternative view of life that they offer to us, particularly if we get ourselves past the idea that they are somehow a statement of the conditions that we have to fulfill in order to be in the kingdom of heaven. They are accomplished blessings, not conditions. And so the version with which we're, with which we're so familiar, which comes to us from the King James Bible, I'm going to read alternately between the, the, the Revised Standard Version and an alternative version, which is current and many people appreciate and gain benefit from, entitled The Message. First, I'll read first the RSV and then the message. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to speak and taught them, saying, 
Now let me just say here, back in the old times, the teacher sat and the students stood. That's why they call them the good old days. <laughs> now from the message. When John saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside, and those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. And after a while, they came to a quiet place, and he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and God's rule. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or, you are blessed when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one to whom you are most dear. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of anything, everything that can't be bought. What Clarence Jordan said, those who are gentle are God's people, for they will be God's partners across the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or, you are blessed when you've worked up a really good appetite for God, who is food and drink and the best meal you'll ever meet. Or, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Or, you are blessed when you care, and at the moment of being too full of care, overwhelmed, you find yourself cared for. Blessed are you, the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or, you are blessed when you get inside your own self, your heart, your mind, and you put that right, and then you can see God in all the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You will be blessed, you are blessed, when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's realm of justice and of peace. Blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Or finally, not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when this happens. Give a cheer even, even though they don't like it. I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Amen. It's a different vantage point, not to think about them as conditions and entrance exam, but also to think about them in ways that are transformative just for ourselves. And some of them, perhaps, are disturbing or cause us wonderment that really can't be answered. Particularly like the, blessed are you who are meek. This is completely counterintuitive to our ethos as a people, right? Blessed are you when you get your own way. When you get what you set out, and it doesn't matter who you step on to get there. Blessed are you who are meek. Wow. Two friends of mine were pastors together at a church outside of Boston. Frederick Meek and George Bland, who you may remember was the pastor of Greenfield Hill Church for many years. Frederick Meek in his day was uh, called one of the princes of the pulpit back in the day when Time Magazine had an annual issue in which they named the 10 best preachers in America. Time Magazine, <laughs> who knew? And so the deacons meeting said, this is terrible. Nobody's going to come to our church. When they see the sign out front, it says, pastors, meek and bland. <laughs> Who's going to come? <laughs> right? True story, by the way. <clears throat> but hear it this way. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more, no less. Blessed are you when you are content with just who you are, no more, no less. For indeed, this is the way that God sees you, right? That's the whole point, that none of us have to be more or different than who we actually are. We only have to be our honest, true selves. God loves that. Doesn't, God doesn't want us to be anybody else but who we are. God made us and knows us, our frame, and loves us just as we are. No more, no less. And that's the moment when you'll find yourselves the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You cannot buy God's love. It's not for sale. It's a gift given, bestowed, with open arms and open heart and the abiding love of God. That's who we are as a people. This, these blessings would call us to the deeper reality of God's love by which we are blessed and by which we may bless the world. Amen.